असतो मद्गमय तमसो मोतिर्गमय मृत्युर्मात गमय ओ शातिशातिशातिडस फ्रॉम दि अनियल टू द रियल लीडस फ्रॉम डार्कनेस एंड टू लाइट लीडस फ्रॉम डेथ to immortality om peace 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 namaste and good morning everybody here and our large virtual audience so today we are going to make an entry into um the ashtavakra chapter 15 we'll dive right in what we will do is we will work our way through the verses and listen to what i say in two ways one is carefully listening to the words attending to what i am saying and in second listen with your own existence with the whole being that notice that it is true it's like i'm saying you are sitting there you've heard the words he's saying i'm sitting here yes and now i notice i'm sitting here indeed i am sitting here like that won't be that easy but like that i'm saying something nothing of what i say is theoretical here nothing of what ashtavakra say by the way i use so many big words i'm saying so many high and lofty things they're not my words they're not my teachings they are ashtavakra they are advaita vedanta often we confuse the person and the teaching so i am a very ordinary person and this is just coming through me but it is coming from ashtavakra it is coming from the upanishads notice it with our own with in our reality in our existence that it is true yes then there will be a guided meditation which will be absolutely directly related to what we studied just now and then we will take some questions so that will be the structure of uh, this session so first the verses chapter 15 verse 4 and explained yesterday why this selection so verse 4 you can repeat after me i will chant each quarter of the verse and you repeat after me natvam deho nate deho देहो नते देहो भोक्ता भवान भोक्ता भवान चिद्रूपोषी सदा साक्षी चिद्रूपोषी सदा साक्षी निरपेक्ष सुखम चर nirapeksha sukham chara you are not the body nor is the body yours you are not the doer nor the enjoyer you are consciousness itself the eternal witness and free go about happily that's nice let's hear how byram translates it you are not your body your body is not you you are not the doer you are not the enjoyer you are pure awareness 
the witness of all things. You are without expectation. What's your expectation of what? Of anything. You are without expectation, free. Wherever you go, be happy. So when he says you are not your body, your body is not you, and I might add here, it's not even your body. All right, let's see what he's talking about. The crucial word here is chidruposi. In the Sanskrit, chidruposi means you are consciousness. You are pure consciousness. Now I'm going to say a few things. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. It's not just a talk, a lecture, a theoretical, philosophical talk. I'm just pointing out something which is actually a fact about ourselves right now. And it's very helpful to try to notice that, is it a fact? You can listen to me. If you, want, if you feel like withdrawing inside and trying to note it, that's, even, that's wonderful. You close your eyes and look inside and see whether it's true or not. Every sentence I will say is just I'm pointing out something that's a fact already. And we should be able to notice it. So, you are consciousness. Chidruposi. What does that mean? You see, consciousness is there in every one of our experiences. And after all, what is life if not experiences? Our life is just experiences of all sorts. And consciousness is there in every experience. In fact, an elegant definition of experience. What experience? Any experience, every experience. Definition. Is consciousness plus object. There is an experience, there is something which is experienced and something which is experiencing in every experience. And that's what we call subject and object basically. Instead of using the word subject, I'm using consciousness, awareness. It is, I'm using words like consciousness, pure consciousness, awareness, um, interchangeably, but not knowledge. See, what we are talking about it is at the very margin of language, at the boundary of language, of what can be said and what cannot be said. It's simple and direct, and yet somehow it escapes language. So we'll struggle. That's why we use multiple words trying to express something. So every experience, all experiences, are nothing but consciousness plus an object. What object? Any object, anything. Anything that you experience is called an object. In Sanskrit, chit, jara. Chit means consciousness, awareness. Jara means that which is an object to consciousness. The philosopher Arindam Chakravarti put it very humorously and nicely, actually, very incisive insight. He said, what is an object? An object is something that objects to your consciousness. <laughs> Beautifully put. Think of our consciousness as an unlimited field. Then it runs up against something and it immediately illumines it. We see something, hear something, smell or taste, touch something, think of something, feel something. They are all objects. Why? They object to your consciousness. Consciousness spreading without limit suddenly it runs up against this ah, microphone. So an object and lit up by consciousness, that is experience. 
In every experience, there is consciousness. All perceptions, there is consciousness. Isn't it so? When you are seeing something, are you not aware? If you are not aware, could you see? There is Niant taking a photograph. He is seeing me. He is aware. And the camera which he is using has almost a similar structure to his eyes. And it's capturing the image also. But it is not aware. There is no experience in the camera. But in Niant, there is an experience going on. In fact, I was thinking, the Google car and when you drive a car, what's the difference? The Google, you know, self-driving car? This is self in California, you can see it. So it's driving around in the streets just like any other car. But there's nobody driving it. It's a computer. And all sorts of activities which a driver does are being done, replicated in that car. There are sensors which can detect motion and forms and objects and depth. There are computers which are constantly processing data and decision-making algorithms which are taking decisions and there are motors which will carry out those decisions just like whatever you do when you are driving except one vital thing. There's no consciousness there. Somebody might say, well, how do you know? I say the best answer is ask the Google engineers who made that thing. None of them will ever claim that we programmed consciousness into it. None of the algorithms, none of the software, the programming, none of that refers to any kind of consciousness. They are very clear. It's not, at least we haven't programmed any consciousness into it. We wouldn't know how. So there is no consciousness there. Therefore, there is no experience there. Experience is consciousness plus object. Any perception. Whatever perceptions are going on right now, there is awareness. And that we don't need such a lecture for that. You notice, yes, I'm aware. But not just perceptions, also emotions. Whenever we feel, we feel sad, you cannot feel sad without being conscious. In knocked out in anesthesia or in deep sleep, although in Vedanta there is consciousness there, but in, in a sense you cannot feel uh, emotion. Whenever there is emotion, there is consciousness, awareness. You feel happy, first of all aware and then happy. You feel lonely, first of all aware and then lonely. Then any kind of idea, understanding. You work hard at mathematics, at science, at you know, philosophy. All of that is done in consciousness. All ideas arise, experienced and disappear in consciousness. You struggled with your schoolwork at school, then you got it, you understood the mathematics that was in consciousness. When you're struggling to understand, you're aware that you're struggling. When you got it, you're aware that you got it. And today, 20, 30, 40 years later, you've forgotten it all, thank God. <laughs> and you're aware that there's a lot of knowledge which is gone now. I don't remember. Awareness continues. So in all ideas, there's awareness. In all actions. I'm speaking, I'm aware. It's a conscious experience of words. You're sitting, walking, talking, eating, boating. So all that, there is awareness there throughout. In all actions there is awareness, consciousness. In all memory there is consciousness. 
whenever you recall things from the past, happy, sad, memories, consciousness is there. This consciousness is present in all our experiences throughout our days, but not just throughout our days, when we fall asleep, when we go, you forget this beautiful retreat place, the lake and the sky, you forget the room you're sleeping in, the, the bed you're sleeping disappears from your awareness, the body, your own body, which we consider, I am this, this disappears. But you don't disappear, the consciousness does not disappear, because a world of dreams now appears before you. There are people appearing in places and experiences and emotions and ideas and uh, good and bad, happy and sad. All of those are appearing. Consciousness continues. Without, without consciousness, those things would not be possible. Awareness continues there. In dream. In deep sleep, it continues. Now, this is a question which people raise that all of this is fine, Swami, but it breaks down in deep sleep, in coma, in anesthesia. No, in deep sleep it continues. What is deep sleep? Imagine, all of it blanked out. You don't see anything, hear anything, smell, taste, touch, anything. You don't feel anything. You don't imagine anything. You don't um, uh, think of anything. You don't remember anything. Don't desire anything. Don't like or hate anything. You don't even think that I am sleeping. Oh, this must be sleep. I am sleeping. If you think that, you are not sleeping. Even that is not there. But all of these, notice, they are all objects. When these are removed, we haven't said a single thing about consciousness. There is consciousness there in deep sleep also, but alone, without an object. Nothing objects to consciousness, so you don't have an experience. Or you might say it's an experience of nothingness. It's not a blankness, but it's an experience of blankness. It's an experience of nothingness. And again, again, I've said many times, it's not an absence of awareness. It's an awareness of absence. You can think of deep sleep as that. That is what happens in deep sleep. All throughout consciousness, awareness is present. Consciousness and awareness, it, it's present. Notice it continues. Other things come and go. The things that you see are continuously changing. What you saw just now before this coming to the hall was different. Early morning it was different. Your room was different. Before coming to the lake it was different. What you taste and eat, what you are eating at home and what you are eating now, different. The people you are meeting now, different. The temperature is different. All the experiences, the sense experiences, continuously keep changing. But awareness does not change. This is a subtle point, but it's important to note. You say, but our experiences keep changing. Yes. Why do our experiences keep changing? Because our experiences have two components. Object of experience and consciousness. If the objects keep changing, experiences will keep changing. But that does not mean consciousness is changing. Do I need to repeat that? Objects keep changing. What we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, what we think, what we feel, what we remember, what we desire, keeps changing throughout the day. And therefore our experiences keep changing. Think of the consciousness like this light. 
This light, the same light pervades the entire room. But there's so many things which are revealed by the light. The people, the chairs, the carpet, um, the, uh, the ambience, it's all revealed by the light. And it can change. Different people can come, you can, the setup of the room can change. The same light will keep on revealing. Just because the contents of the room have changed does not mean the light has changed. What reveals remains the same. Consciousness is not changing the contents of consciousness. The contents of our experience keep changing, therefore our experiences keep changing. Consciousness does not change. It is continuous, one and continuous. Not only that, not only does it change, another subtle point, very important, it is not affected by our experiences. A stunning point, it is not modified by our experiences. It is not wounded, injured, traumatized by our, by our experiences. Yes, the body can be traumatized, body can be hurt by an accident, by a disease. And consciousness, it reveals the injured body, it reveals the trauma in the body. The mind can be traumatized. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. What is traumatized there? The mind. So now you begin to understand in what sense we are using consciousness, not the usual discourse. So when people say, um, my consciousness has been transformed, spiritual path is a path of transformation of consciousness, you immediately object, uh, object. So no, as we understand it and as we experience it, consciousness in itself cannot be transformed. Consciousness cannot be transformed. No, no, spiritual life is a growth of consciousness. That's a lazy way of speaking. That's an imprecise way of speaking. There is transformation, there is growth, there is development, there is purification. But of what? Of the mind and maybe of the body also. But not consciousness. The body has grown and changed from babyhood to childhood to middle age to you know, youth and middle age to old age and finally death. Body series of changes, six changes they talk about. Shadvikara, birth, coming into existence, maturation, um, middle age, aging and death. And all of these are revealed by the consciousness which is not born with birth, does not come into existence with being born, does not develop in school, it does not become young, does not become middle aged, does not become old, does not die. And again, what I'm saying is, this is not a theory. If notice that it's so, it is a fact. If you don't think it's a fact, and be honest. So keep it in the question, in reserve. We need to do two things with it. That, no, I'm not convinced. Then ask yourself, why am I not convinced? You will usually see that you are mixing up consciousness with something which is changing. That's why you are not convinced that consciousness does not change. If still not clear, then have a question at the end. <coughs> consciousness is not affected, is not modified by our experiences. The movie screen, a good example. You play a tragedy, the screen does not become miserable. Is the screen weeping buckets of tears after? The audience maybe, after the most tragic movie, but the screen would be pretty soggy and would be pretty useless for the next movie if it does not, it's pretty heartless, it does not shed a single tear for all the travails of the hero. For comedy, is the screen giggling and chuckling? No, not at all. Screen is not excited in an action movie. 
The screen is not affected by the movie that plays on the screen. Similarly, consciousness is not affected, modified, traumatized, upset, delighted, fulfilled by what appears in consciousness. Mind and body will be affected, surely. What else? Consciousness is open. Notice, like the sky, planes are flying through the sky out there, and uh, clouds are floating through it, dust is there floating in the sky, birds fly through it, insects fly through it, and then it can be empty at some time, nothing. Light shines through it, and bright blue, blazing blue sky there, and at night, dark, black, same sky. It is open to everything that arises and disappears in the sky. Similarly, consciousness is totally open to every object. Consciousness is totally open to every object. Good thoughts are revealed by consciousness. The very fact that I have miserable thoughts, obsessive thoughts, unhappy thoughts, all revealed by consciousness. Consciousness has no resistance. Mind may resist. Unhappy thoughts, traumatic thoughts. Mind may want nostalgic thoughts, beautiful thoughts, loving thoughts, holy thoughts, pure thoughts, spiritual thoughts. Consciousness neither wants nor resists. It is open to all kinds of thoughts and feelings. If it was not open, you would not feel it. It is open to everything in the universe. And why should it not be? It's not affected by anything. If it was not open to something, it would not arise in consciousness at all. You wouldn't experience it. This consciousness is the self, is you. Chidruposi. You might say, wonderful for consciousness, sounds like an amazing thing, but I have many problems. Wait, you are that consciousness. Normally we think, before examination, before Advaita, before Ashtavakra, we think, I am this, without examining it, I naturally think, behave and speak as if I am this bundle. A bundle of what? Body, flesh and blood, the physical living body, and mind with all its components, a personality with emotions and memories and desires and tendencies and an ego which coordinates everything. Intellect. This bundle, and I'll say, yes, I'm not denying that I'm aware, there's consciousness, there's awareness, but that's just part of what I am. After Advaita, after examination, after Ashtavakra, we must say, no, 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 consciousness is not part of what I am. Consciousness is what I am. I am consciousness and consciousness is I, the real I. And all of these, the rest, body, thoughts, emotions, personality, desires, ideas, these are all appearances, objects in consciousness. Again, note, at every point, it's not a theory, isn't it true? Why am I not a bundle of body-mind consciousness? Because they are not on the same level. It's like saying, when you look at a movie, say, oh, there is the hero, there is the hero's car, there is the hero's mom and dad, and there is the screen. No, no, no. 
The screen is not part of the movie. The screen is that on which, the, which enables the movie, which is open to the movie, which, in which the movie plays. The screen is just the screen. That is the reality. You are just consciousness in which appears a body, in which appears a mind, in which appears a personality. Forgetting yourself as consciousness, just like when we watch a movie, we forget the screen. And it's good that you forget the screen, otherwise you can't really uh, enjoy the movie. Just imagine, oh look, King Kong has arrived on the screen. Now King Kong is doing terrible things on the screen. <laughs> if you keep remembering the screen, you won't, be really, you won't really enjoy the movie. But we know that the screen is there. We know that it's a movie. Therefore, we are not scared of King Kong. In a movie hall, you can see a giant gorilla doing um, tremendous things, tremendous devastation. And people enjoy it and clap and are delighted. If a little act, real monkey actually came into this movie hall, people would scream and run away. So everybody knows it's a movie. Similarly, we know that I am consciousness. The moment you become bundled up with body-mind and forget I am consciousness, samsara starts, good and bad. We are sucked into it. But when we know that I am consciousness, you don't have to switch up the movie. The movie can keep playing. In fact, let the movie play, it's delightful. And you know that I am consciousness, and then through consciousness I experience a wealth of objects shining in me, arising and disappearing in me, some pleasant, some unpleasant. Then it's joy. Then it's delight. Then no longer samsara, it becomes delight. Sri Ramakrishna used to call it Majarkuti, the house of mirth. Because the house of mirth. All right. One technical difference. All this sounds nice and cool, but one technical difference must be kept in mind, a concept, conceptual structure, which will help us to understand this better and also answer many questions. For example, a big question would be, you're saying everything arises in consciousness, in my consciousness, but is that really true? You see, um, there are many things going on in the hall outside. I don't know. It's not arising in my consciousness. There are millions of people around there. Some different things are arising in their consciousness. Different experiences are happening in my consciousness. It doesn't seem to be one consciousness in which everything is arising. That doesn't seem to be the case. This is the argument against what is called subjective idealism. Here is the answer. Listen to this carefully. Make a difference between consciousness and knowledge. Consciousness, awareness, chaitanya, chit, whatever Ashtavakra is speaking about. Awareness itself, consciousness itself, and knowledge. What is knowledge? The same consciousness shining on this mind, lighting up the mind, becomes what is called a pramata, a knower. This is the sentient being, the jiva, the one which calls itself Sarva Priyananda. What is that? Awareness shining on a mind with its own distinctive cluster of impressions, personality, history, lights it up. And this mind, this lit up mind, we call this the, the reflected consciousness in the mind. The mind with its reflected consciousness, now it deploys a series of instruments of knowledge. In Sanskrit, pramana. 
then this mind with its lit with its reflected consciousness borrowed consciousness borrowed light is now becomes a knower in sanskrit pramata being a knower with instruments of knowledge what are the instruments of knowledge sounds fancy eyes right now you are deploying an instrument of knowledge that consciousness shining in that mind now is deploying ears and attention is now the mind with its reflected consciousness is directed to the input from the ears and you become a knower a hearer you are hearing my words my words become the known object prameya and you get a knowledge prama so knower knowable object instrument of knowledge and knowledge four things who is the knower you are how are you a knower with the instruments of knowledge like ears and eyes and tongue and nose and touch and things like inference you make scientific uh, observations um, conclusions based on data gathered and common sense inference also and many other ways book knowledge we read something and we get some knowledge all of those are instruments of knowledge and by that you get knowledge prama about knowable things what are knowable things for example the words i'm speaking are knowable things people you see around you are knowable the food you taste is knowable the book you read ashtavakra book you are reading knowable so all these are knowable in sanskrit prameya using pramana instruments of knowledge you the pramata knower get knowledge prama now why i'm saying this there is a vast difference gulf between the original pure consciousness awareness and this knower this knower is very limited shining on this mind from this perspective with this set of instruments i'm getting a tiny slice of knowledge sure i don't know what's going on outside the uh, room because i don't have the instrument to go there i will have to physically travel there carrying my set of instruments of knowledge and focus it there to know that but then i will lose contact contact with this that's how we know tiny slices of things and the rest we have a generally vague feeling that there is a vast world out there which is not an object of my knowledge right now that's how we experience life in tiny slices but all of it takes place in awareness notice this much is our slice of knowledge right now and the rest of it's beyond our knowledge it's the realm of the unknown follow this this known and that unknown are both in our awareness this is in our awareness as the known as the seen as the heard as the smelled tasted touched understood thought about remembered and the vast is also in our awareness as a vague unknown unthought of unseen unheard unremembered ununderstood untasted it can be heard thought tasted later on so everything in life is in consciousness as known as unknown then you will begin to see what advaita vedanta is saying is making more sense if you only think as knower you will see i am only i only a little bit is in my knowledge the rest is just outside how can you say everything is in consciousness everything is in consciousness as the known and the unknown 
and the boundaries of known and unknown keep changing depending on how you deploy your instruments of knowledge and um, how much general human knowledge is also expanding okay you are the consciousness he says not knower this reflected consciousness and the mind together is the jiva the sentient being it is the knower consciousness with focus through instruments of knowledge pramata but it is also bhokta it is the experiencer that means in the sense of here it says enjoyer but bhoga means both enjoyment and suffering pleasure and pain it is also the doer in association with the instruments of action with the body this reflected consciousness feels i walk i talk i sit i work i am exercising i am boating in the lake it is the doer consciousness in itself is it a knower no is it an enjoyer or sufferer no is it a doer no and to understand that just think of the movie example is the screen uh, does it know and suffered all the things that the hero is suffering in the travails of the movie no does it um, um, do all the actions uh, that you know king kong is jumping up and down in manhattan is the screen jumping up and down in sympathy with king kong then the movie will be spoiled the screen starts jumping up and down in excitement no in itself no so ashtavakra says you are not the enjoyer or sufferer you are not the doer of actions also chidruposi your pure awareness when right now this another thing to understand consciousness is not cumulative cumulative in the sense after plenty of knowledge after then only i will become pure consciousness no if i do not know anything at all if i do not take one class of advaita vedanta at all i am as much pure consciousness awareness as sri ramakrishna swami vivekananda holy mother and the rest of us all the time it's not that we become this by a lot of spiritual practice this becomes clearer to us us means the knower now the jiva sentient being our real nature is that so you are not the knower you are not the enjoyer or sufferer you are not the doer you the consciousness and yet other than you there is no knower there is no enjoyer sufferer there is no doer think about it other than the screen where is the hero or the villain where is the where are the things which you see in the movie nowhere they can't exist it's like by the moonlight the beautiful earth is revealed at night correct it's not revealed by the sunlight and yet there's no moonlight without the sunlight it is the sunlight alone falling on the moon which reveals the earth at night this is a good example used in vedanta compare the sun to awareness or consciousness you the reality the moon is like the mind and the moonlight which re- which is basically reflected sunlight is like the reflected consciousness and what actually reveals the world at night not the sun directly it's the reflected light which we call moonlight notice is the moonlight which is practically revealing the world giving us experience of the world at night 
But the moonlight also notice, it's limited. It's not equal, not at all equal to the sunlight. Not only that, um, it is not original to the moon. It is borrowed from the sun. It's a tiny fraction of the light of the sun. A lot like that, you are that limitless awareness, tiny bit of you. Miserable, fading, little flickering bit. You shine upon the mind and that becomes knower, ramata. Enjoyer and sufferer, bhokta. Doer of all actions, karta. So this, what Ashtavakra sees is like a double-edged sword. It has to be understood carefully. You are not the knower, but there is no knower other than you. And Ashtavakra says, you are not bhokta, not the enjoyer-sufferer, but there is no enjoyer-sufferer apart from you. You are not the doer, nakatta, but there is no doer apart from you. This is a subtle point, simple point actually. You can easily grasp it with the dream example, with the uh, movie example. We can grasp it, but it has to be grasped. Moving on. This consciousness is effortless. Knowledge requires effort. You have to come to the retreat and get the book and sit and struggle through Ashtabhakra's wild sayings. It requires effort. It requires effort. You have to go to college. Uh, you have to uh, study and go to college and all of that. It requires effort. But consciousness, what effort does it require to be conscious? None. It's Swami, you have not attended Vedanta classes. It requires a <laughs> lot of effort to be conscious. No. Here is the point, really, seriously. The point is that waking, dreaming, deep sleep are states of the mind, not consciousness. You say, I take a cup of coffee and I feel very conscious. I felt less conscious before the cup of coffee. No, it is the mind which gets, the body becomes alert, the mind which is very closely tied to the body becomes alert. If you are sick, if you are tired, then the mind also will feel tired and um, unwell and dull. But consciousness is the one which reveals the sharp, clear mind. It reveals the dull, quiet mind. Consciousness is that which reveals the awake mind and it reveals the sleepy mind. It reveals the mind in deep sleep also. Consciousness is not awake. You can say consciousness is always awake. It's like the sun. Because of the sun and the movement of the earth, we have night and day. But in the sun there is no night and day. Or you can say it's always day. Because it's always shining. Because of the movement of the mind, we have waking, dreaming, deep sleep. We have alert, uh, alert and dull, keen and blunt mind, slow, lazy, sharp. All of that is the mind and connected to the body also. That's why, you know, Bill, who is there in, uh, in the Vedanta Society, he says that, I can't seem to remember too well these days, Swami. I said, you are doing well, Bill. You are nearly twice my age and I, I have the same problem. I can't seem to remember too well. He is 97. It is just the body. When the body slows down, the mind also uh, slows down. And... Uh, the awareness which revealed the keen mind is now revealing the mind which has slowed down. Awareness, you the awareness, that is you. You have not slowed down. You are revealing things just as well. Your performance is still 100%. You 
And so he's humorous, you know, he has dry humor. He said, scant comfort, Swami. <laughs> it is, it's not cumulative. It is effortless. Recognition of this awareness is all that we need and it is instantaneous. Instantaneous. How long does it take to recognize the screen, to notice the screen in a movie? How long? You are always directly staring at it. You may forget it from time to time to enjoy the movie. But if somebody points out, are you aware of the screen? You will say, the screen, oh of course, there, there it is. Similarly, our real nature, that awareness, instantaneous. If it takes more time, it is the mind which is creating complications. It should be instantaneously available, because it is available to us all the time. Without it, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be having any experience. Even the doubts about it require it. Shankaracharya says, Yaesha nirakarta tasyaiva atmasa Whoever denies this pure consciousness, this awareness, it is the awareness of that one who is denying it. Without that you cannot deny it also or confirm it. In, because of the light of that consciousness we are ignorant of it. Because of the light of that consciousness we become enlightened about it. We become enlightened, Brahma Jnani, is because of that consciousness alone. It's instantaneous. Always shining. All the time shining. Effortlessly, you don't have to work at it to make it shine. Now when we look at this verse, you will see. That is what you are. Tattvamasi. You say, ah, but only after I realize it. No. Whether you realize it or not, it's there. And you are that. Choicelessly. You don't have to be a non-dualist. If you can be the most committed dualist and believe, and I have a simple devotion to God, you can be an atheist, you can be Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or whatever. Whatever you are, whatever our views and ideas and conclusions are, that one consciousness is the same for every one of us. Now when we look at the verse, you will see it makes perfect sense. Natvam deho, you are not the body. Obviously not, it's an object. Activities of the body. Somebody said, it's there in one of Shankaracharya's texts, Upadesha Sahasri. The student objects again. <laughs> he says, but sir, you're saying that this is an object because I'm aware of it and the body is also an object. I'm aware of it. So I'm not this book. I'm not this body. That's the sum of substance of your argument. Yes, but no, it's not the same thing because the body hurts. It's a question asked to Shankaracharya. You get burnt, it hurts. If you burn something else, that object, it will not hurt me. I am this. That's why it hurts. But Shankaracharya says that that hurt, pain, are you aware of it? Of course, it hurts, I'm aware. If you're aware of it, then it is an object. Because it is an object, you're aware of it. It is appearing in your consciousness. Just as the body is appearing, the pain in the body is also appearing in your consciousness. One of the subtle but important techniques in Advaita Vedanta, one Sadhu in Uttarakhand said, Jo jiska dharma hai, usko do. Whatever is the property of something, let it remain there. Don't misplace things. Don't misplace things. What do you mean? The pain is a pain of the body without any doubt. It is 
affected by the, it is actuated by the nervous system. It's a property, a process going on in the body. Don't attribute it to you, the consciousness. Let the pain of the body remain in the body. You're misplacing pain, suffering, by putting it on yourself. I am in pain. No, you're not. You, the awareness, are aware, are illumining, they're revealing the existence of pain in the body. That sounds too abstract. Huh? No. You try it. Even at our level, even when we do not have that full-blown you know, understanding or a realization, it will still work. It will give you some measure of relief, at least some measure of psychological relief it will give. It won't take the pain away, but it will dull the pain. It will objectify the pain. And, it's, and the most important thing, it is the truth. It's a fact. I read about, somebody told me, um, I think Bill told me, Where's Bill? You, did you tell me about uh, a professor of yours who went through tooth, uh, dental work without anesthesia? Just on this understanding. Hmm? Yes. So there are a number of examples where you actually experience pain and you can clearly objectify it and you can do things like going through ex excruciating pain by clear objectification of the pain. Don't try it unless you are poor, but it's a good thing to have in your arsenal. One sadhu in Uttarakhand from whom I was studying this in Gangotri, one day while teaching this, I still remember, surrounded by monks and the Ganga flowing by nearby, uh, he suddenly closed the book and looked at us. And he said in Hindi, I'll translate for you, Haat mein astra hai Mahatma ji, dushman se do thappad kha ke rote rote wapas aage, to kya maja hai Mahatma ji? You have all these weapons in your hands, oh monks, you have these weapons in your hands, and you go and the, the enemy gives you a couple of slaps and you come back weeping. What's the fun in that? Weapons means the, this knowledge is there in your hands. What is the um, enemy? Suffering, pain, delusion, desire, all of these things come up and we are swept away by them. And then we bemoan the fact, as it is suffering, and after that reading Ashtavakra and Advaita Vedanta, and then double suffering. Why? I should have been able to tackle it. It didn't work at all. <laughs> Worldly suffering plus Advaitic suffering then. <laughs> no, no, no. Kya majai? What's the fun in that? These are weapons to be used. Try it in the midst. Take it for a test run. No, no, I would do that. I would, sometimes, you know, I was reading that, I would, pinch myself hard and sharp and observe carefully to see the pain arise, burn and disappear again. I am the same consciousness I was before the pain, during the pain and after the pain. It's an obvious fact. Just noticing. This is one weapon. It doesn't even take Advaita to understand this. This is just Sankhya. There is another weapon. The weapon of uh, yoga. Now, how it works? How do you deal with pain in yoga? In pain in yoga is this, that there is a capacity of the mind that it takes up only one thing at a time. If you know that secret of the mind, you, if you take, take control of what the mind is focusing on, you can overcome anything. You can accomplish miracles in life. There might be severe pain in the body, 
but if you are able if you train the mind in meditation and you are able to focus the mind on your object of meditation then your mind will be aware of only the object of meditation not the pain or the distress many people have applied this remember did you see how different it is from the what we are talking about here you are using knowledge that's the weapon i am awareness it's an object in me but here in yoga Uh, in the the second one which i referred to we are using the power of attention not knowledge power of attention what i attend to that becomes my reality for that pers- period of time even the miserable things like pain and trauma if i'm not attending to it it's not my reality at that point you say no but it gnaws at me it, it bothers me but it bothers you because you are not attending to this entirely if you are attending to it wholly and entirely the mind there wouldn't be any bandwidth left in the mind to be bothered about something else i've heard it again and again and again just by the power of attention milton said the mind in its own place can make a heaven of uh, uh, hell and a hell of heaven the mind in its own place by attention and by understanding can make a heaven of hell and can make a hell of heaven just by itself there's the power of attention there's this book wrapped rapt wrapped winifred gallagher and she talks about i think herself or a cancer patient who um was suffering terribly chemotherapy um, the medical bills mounting up and her own own life and career in shreds and it all seems hopeless and then she said that it i decided i i can't have this i am going to focus on what is positive in my life she was a writer so i'm going to think about my writing and the minimum time and energy i'll give to my treatment and finances and whatever something will happen there but what will happen and she said my life was totally transformed it actually became better than you know pre cancer life why because i was attending to what was important and what was nourishing and what was helpful for me luckily she recovered from cancer also and that might also have something to do with it that's the second weapon attention that's the path of yoga third weapon love of god we'll talk about it in the afternoon complete love surrender so much being intensely in love and that too with god that's bhakti can deal with the little problems and pains doesn't matter my lord is all in all and i'm holding on to the lord that's the only pain is forgetting the lord uh, the rest of it is just nothing clearly it is happening by the will of my lord it's okay for me i i mean i'm uh, open to it this acceptance comes the resistance goes away through devotion bhakti complete surrender to the lord through karma another weapon karma this deep concern for others and uh, being engaged in the welfare of others i have seen so many times monks in you know hospitals in schools it is it's very easy to forget your own little troubles how many parents mothers and fathers they they forget their own problems because they have to because they have to take care of the children expand that much more a karma yogi would consider like everybody to be like a child to be taken care of so my own little problems they you are reframing in the presence of something much bigger it becomes so vanishingly small so 
These are weapons. Anyway, that has taken us out of our track. Our track here was by knowledge that I'm awareness. All of this arises in me, shines in me, disappears in me. I am constant. I am unaffected. Don't try to be unaffected. It's the mind which tries to be unaffected. Won't work. The mind should rather notice that I am actually pure consciousness, not the mind. That is unaffected anyway. The light is completely unaffected by what happens. Whatever it shines upon, light is not made impure if it shines upon a ditch. It's not made pure if it shines upon Ganga water. The light is always light. Now you see. Natvam deho. Nate, then? Nate deho. Even the body is not yours. So that's why I said the translation there, you must add one more thing. Uh, you are not your body, but even, uh, the body is also not yours. How can it be yours? We think it's, I understand Swami, but it's still my body. Oh. But who told you it's your body? Whose body? Why do I think that it's my body? It's like uh, when the cops pull you over and ask for the papers of the car. Show me the papers to your body. Who told you it's your body? Nobody told you. You don't have the proper documentation. You're going to end up in jail. You don't have the proper documentation for the body. Uh, do you own the materials out of which the body was made? The earth and the fire and the water and the, and the elements out of which the body was made? No. God made those materials. God has ownership over the materials. Does the body say, body, at least it obeys me. So I have control of this body, I don't have control of that body, so this is my body. That's what we think. But think closely again. How much control do we have over this body? Very little. Very little. Most of the amazing processes, intricate processes going on in the body, at the organic level, at this um, suborganic level, at the, at the cellular level, at the intra uh, intercellular level, intracellular level, at the molecular level, enormous amount of activity is going on. There are doc many doctors present here, you know much better than uh, me. Enormous amount of activity is going on. How much conscious control do we ex exercise over them? Nothing. Vanishingly little. So, yes, all that is fine, but I know, I'm raising my hand, that much control I have. Do we? One little stroke somewhere? Hmm? Paralyzed. Physiotherapy. Even when we have control, subtle point here, the whole question of free will comes up. I will raise my hand right now. There's no stroke. I have control of my hand, so it is my hand. I, it is, I am raising it. I want to raise it. I am raising it. Really? I want to raise it. That thought is bubbling up in the mind. Where did it come from? Did you generate that thought? No. It bubbles up from unseen depths in our mind, seizes control of the mind, seizes control of the nervous system and the muscular system and lifts the hand. And I, the ego, the little fool says, I lifted my hand. I'm literally quoting Krishna from the Bhagavad Gita. There's one verse which Krishna has repeated again and again and again in the Gita. Ahankara vimuratma kartahamiti manyate. The consciousness deluded by the ego. 
Consciousness deluded by the ego means, the self deluded by the ego means, identifying with the ego. Thinks, I am the doer. 13th chapter it says, Krishna says, Prakritya karmani kriyamanani sarvasha yapasyati tathatmanam akattaram sapasyati Nature alone does every kind of action. Action by definition is within the realm of nature. All action is done by nature. One who sees this, sees that I am not the doer, I am the witness. I am the witness of actions going on in nature. It's easy for us to say I am the witness of all the actions there. And the, all the actions here. But all the actions here, no, at least part of it I do. That part of it I do, that comes because I have mixed myself up with the ego. The ego feels that it does all of these things. Why does it feel that? That's its function. Again, Vedanta Sara. Ego is that which is of the nature of appropriation. There must be a, to, to, to carry on the activities of this body-mind complex, there must be a manager. Somebody who will, um, who will say, I am in charge of getting things done here. So that manager, that one which identifies with the activities of body-mind is called ego, ahankara. I, the consciousness, when I do not know what I am and I identify myself with the ego, then I think I am doing these things. Krishna says this three, four times in the Gita. And it's not even Advaita, it's Sankhya. Clear division between consciousness and object, consciousness and nature, Prakriti and Purusha. Natvam deha, nate deha, body also is not yours. Obviously, bhokta karta nava bhavan, sir, you are not the doer, not the uh, enjoyer or sufferer. And notice, uh, this is uh, just is a fact. If you are not the enjoyer or sufferer, now you go back to the law of karma. What we do consciously, we get the results of that. If I am the doer of good deeds, I will get good karma. Good karma is called punya. And I will get pleasant experiences. If I am the doer of bad deeds, I will get bad karma or papa. And the result of that is unpleasant experiences. And then we have a series of these experiences. I am caught. Good, good, bad, bad, and none escape the law. Whosoever wears the form, wears the form means identified with body and mind. Wears the chain to. Then far beyond name and form is Atman ever free. Far beyond this body-mind is awareness, ever free. Know thou art that sannyasi bold. Say Om Tat Sat Om. So know thou art that bold retreatant. <laughs> Say Om Tat Sat Om. I am that reality. Nothing more has to be done. In times of trouble, when objects object a lot to you, times of trouble, recall this knowledge and deal with the trouble. Times of trouble, there are little, little times of trouble throughout the day. So a, these are experiences given to us by God for practice of Vedanta. Chidru posi sada sakshi. You are always the witness. Never an object, never witnessed. Yes, this consciousness is not an object. I mentioned it yesterday. That's what makes it difficult. Because everything that we know is an object. 
And trying to understand this becomes complicated by the fact that it's not an object. We are looking in the wrong direction. In that story, I will not repeat it. I have repeated it ad nauseum. The story of the tenth man. Uh, could not find, could not count himself as the tenth man, counting only nine people there. Because he's used to counting outside. So he expects the tenth man to be there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. No, no tenth man. That turn, nine, and then turn from there to I am the tenth, that's not natural to him. That's why we have this problem. One monk told me once, many years ago, I didn't understand at that time. You know, he says, you know, what is this Advaitic self-realization, what it is like? There's an aquarium. In an aquarium, have you seen fish, little fish, they swim like this, and when they come to the end of the aquarium, what do they do? They turn like this. And then they swim that way, and they turn like this, and then they swim this way. Have you seen that? So that turn, it's, it's a different thing from swimming like this to turn like this and go that way. That is the turn that you must do. That's a physical turn, but here it doesn't mean that you're allowed to turn around physically and swim away that way. <laughs> but what it means is, it is the, the inward turn, the self towards the self. That means one who sees oneself, in the self or by the self. Sri Ramakrishna used the term being aware of awareness. Bodhe bodhkara. In Bengali he said. This is the meaning of chidruposi sada sakshi. Nirapeksha does not depend on anything. You do not depend on anything. That consciousness, what does it need? This body, what does it need? Plenty of things. Needs a chair to sit, air to breathe, food to eat, bed to sleep. Yeah. But you, the consciousness, awareness, what do you need? This mind, what does it need? Plenty of things. Books to read, movies to watch, people to praise it. Yeah. So many things it needs. But this you, the awareness, what do you need? Nothing. You're perfectly alright when all the objects are there, pleasant and unpleasant. You give them space. Just like this sky, vast sky, blue, blazing blue color, clouds floating through it, planes flying through it, birds and insects and dust flying through it. Perfectly all right. Same sky at night, dark, no color, maybe there are no clouds, or there are clouds, no planes, nothing. Perfectly all right. You, the consciousness, in the presence of samsara, body, instruments of knowledge, Become pramata, pleasant and unpleasant experiences, bhokta, body and uh, the instruments of action become karta, the doer. You walk, talk, hear, uh, you, uh, you write, you work, enjoy, suffer, know. And without body, mind, deep sleep, samadhi, still perfectly alright. What do you need as consciousness? Nothing. Nirapeksha. Then what do you do? That's all very nice. What do you do? Sukham chara, be happy. Do you have to run away to the mountains now? Or remain permanently here? Ask the people here, can you give me a little cottage? Now I've become enlightened. Can't go back to Manhattan. I'll stay here forever. People make that, they feel that now I have nothing more to do. I have to make a radical change to my life. You may or you may not. Ramana Maharshi was asked, did you have to become a monk? A housewife asked him to become enlightened. He said, no mother, no, you don't have to. 
Then the immediate question, then why are you a monk? I mean, he was an ascetic. He lived uh, in a cave uh, in, in a, like, near the mountain. And he said, that is my karma, the karma of this body. The karma of your body is that you are a housewife working in the house, in the kitchen. Both of us can be fully enlightened, fully free, because we are that reality. I and mean, I'm adding these words. He did not say so much. He just said, it is the karma of this body, and that's the karma of your body. But both can be enlightened. Nisargadatta Maharaj, the story is there. When he became enlightened, when he got this realization, I am the all-pervasive self. I'm not this body. Body and mind, I'm not this person. His first reaction was, enough of this nasty life. He was in the largest slum in the world, I think. You can see when you land in Mumbai, you will see an ocean of little huts. What's the name of the place? Dharavi. So, he was there. And he said, this nasty place, why should I stay here? I don't need anything here. Let me go to the mountains and live my rest of my life in that pure place. And I, I know what I am. And he set out. And then he realized, what mistake am I making? That which is there in the mountains is also here in the, uh, this um, you know, crowded slum. Clarity. And he stayed there for the rest of his life. So, nirapeksha, sukham chara. He stayed there for the rest of his life happily. And I know there are monks, all renouncing monks, staying in uh, mountains unhappily. <laughs> then next. So much time, Swami, you took over one verse. How are we going to get through it? <laughs> the next thing, as I said, Ashtavakra, whatever he wants to say, I've already said. Same thing is there in the next one. Little more subtle. Let's see. Raga dvesho mano dharma. Raga dvesho mano dharma. Namanaste kadachana. Namanaste kadachana. Nirvikalpo si bodhatma. Nirvikalpo si bodhatma. Nirvikara sukham chara. Vikara Sukham Chara Attachment and abhorrence are attributes of the mind. Mind is never yours. If you can do a little bit of this, I am not the mind, the mind is not mine. Instantaneously you'll be free with every problem of your life. Problems are not there and therefore you see it in the mind. No, it's the mind which sees it and therefore problems are there. One sadhu said, Shant man me bhala samsar kaun dekha hai? In the absolutely serene and peaceful mind, whoever, wherever has anybody seen samsara? It is because my mind is disturbed that I see samsara. Swami, that's the wrong way of thinking. There are actual problems in the world. True. But isn't this also a common sense way of looking at it? That there are actual problems in the world, actual problems in the family, actual problems in the body, actual problems in the mind but the same actual problems don't different people deal with it differently haven't you seen many of your doctors terrible medical problems haven't you seen a variety of patients dealing with it differently I have heard doctors tell me critically ill patients some are upset over every little thing 
and endless complaints, others are happily or at least peacefully resigned to their fate with calmness and dignity. What is the difference? Actual problem. Both have actual problem. Then how is it that they, uh, they are reacting so differently? It is the mind. And to make the mind serene and peaceful, most powerful. If I am actually limitless consciousness, what, what is my problem? Na manaste kadachana. Reject the mind. Mind is there. It will do its work. But you, I am not you and you are not mine. Then the mind will behave. In Yoga Varshishta, one powerful technique of meditation is, hear this, sit in meditation quietly, calmly, and do your breathing exercises, calm down the body, sit quietly, then give a powerful suggestion to the mind. Oh mind, whatever you can think of, I am not interested. Whatever you can think of, the mind will offer, no, 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 please, I'll think of good things now. Don't fall into the trap. Whatever you can think of, I am not interested. Then there's a subtle point. Then the mind will fall asleep if you do it seriously. So you have to say that there is something I'm interested in that you cannot think of. So two things. I am interested. But not in what you can serve. Whatever you can serve, I don't want any, any part of it. And what I want, I want means the Atman, I am that. That you cannot think of. That will calm down the mind and yet the mind will still remain awake. Because the seed of a desire, a very sattvic high desire has been planted in it. It will remain awake and available to you but without any disturbance. Na manaste kadachana, the mind is never yours. Rama asked, whose mind and whose body then? Ishwaras. Saguna Brahman has created this universe, has created all the matter and energy and time and space in this universe. Every bit of it belongs to God. None of it belongs to us. See, but you're making a difference between God and us. Yes, the absolute reality of God and your absolute reality are one and the same. But at the level of the, the jiva, sentient being, and Ishwara, God, is a huge, huge difference. A difference between a wave and an ocean. Shankaracharya says this. Wave belongs to the ocean. Never the ocean to the wave. Never. Shankaracharya says this. The wave belongs to the ocean. Never the ocean to the wave. Therefore, thou art my Lord. And I am thy servant. But. Then what is Advaita? Advaita is, there is this water to which both, in which both ocean and wave appear and disappear. Water is the ultimate reality. I am that water. Nirvikalposi, without differentiation, without variety. Thoughts are many, many. Perceptions are many, many. Situations in life are many, many. Consciousness, one and the same. Homogeneous. Nirvikalposi. Nirvikalpa samadhi, how difficult. Yes, because you're trying to attain Nirvikalpa samadhi in the mind. Very difficult. Most difficult of attainment. Can be done, but most difficult. But another kind of nirvikalpa is available to you right now all the time, choicelessly, effortlessly, which is you yourself. You are nirvikalpa. Nirvikara. As I said earlier, all these things I have said. Nirvikara means not modified, not changed. Body is changed by life, by the pressures of life. Mind is traumatized. 
weighed down, become blase with, with life, but not consciousness, ever new, ever shining forth. The most ancient one, the most new, as bubbly as the, as the newest five-year-old, you know. Consciousness is like blazing forth all the time, ever new, not affected. Nirvikara. You are Bodhatma. Again, again and again, he says, these are the key words. In the verse number four, it was Chidruposi. In verse number um, five, it is Bodhatma. It just means you are awareness, you are consciousness. Right. Now, we will do a short exercise. No, not question answer now. Short exercise. Hold on to your questions. We will try to appreciate what has been taught here. I will guide you through. Sit straight. Relax. Put your hands on your lap. Or wherever, as you are comfortable. Just sit straight and breathe normally. And when you are comfortable, just close your eyes. Attention to breathing. Breathe in and breathe out deeply, following the in-breath and out-breath, relaxing with the out-breath. In-breath, I am alert. Out-breath, I am relaxed. Listen to the sound of the bell. The sound of the bell arose in awareness. It shone in awareness. It faded away in awareness. Notice it for a fact. In me, the ocean of awareness, a little wave, a sound of the bell, arises, plays around for a while, diminishes, fades away. I was consciousness to begin with. During the sound, I was consciousness. After the sound, I still remain consciousness. Just as this sound arose, shone and disappeared in my consciousness, so also do all sounds right now. They are also arising in consciousness, playing around in me the consciousness and disappearing back to me the consciousness. The sound of the air conditioning, Other sounds in the room, the voice of the speaker, other sounds outside the room, they all arise in consciousness, play around in consciousness, disappear. Not just sounds, 
But when I open my eyes, everything that I see, all forms, shapes and colors arise in consciousness, play around in consciousness and disappear in consciousness. All tastes, all touch, all fragrance. They arise, all perceptions arise in consciousness, play around in consciousness and disappear back into consciousness that I am. At no moment are they anything other than consciousness, just as waves in the ocean are nothing other than water. All thoughts, ideas, emotions, memories, ego, they arise in consciousness, just like that bell, play around in consciousness and disappear back into consciousness which I am. The most distressing thoughts, the most delightful thoughts are at any time, all times, nothing but that consciousness which I am. All my projects, my desires, my regrets, my memories, my personality are nothing more than like that bell it sounded in my consciousness, echoed and disappeared. I remain from age to age, eternal consciousness. Even time is experienced in consciousness and the timeless too is experienced in consciousness. That consciousness I am. Gently open your eyes. This is how an enlightened person looks at the world. Not just in meditation exercise, but after opening the eyes also. Use this whenever there is trouble. Use this. Actually, to use it, you have to make a habit of it. That's why Nididhyasana is there, to stay with it. All right. Questions in this audience and also from the... Um, yeah, We'll come to Bill first and then you next. Yeah, microphone. You have to speak in the microphone. Tell us your name and ask the question. I'm Bill, and I'd like to know whether in the path of jnana, which emphasizes, you know, hearing, thinking about, and then nidhyasana, meditation, is there any place for prayer and grace and the mantra? In the path of jnana, is there any place for prayer and grace and mantra? Yes, certainly. The central practice is hearing, reflecting, and meditating upon it. But you know, there's a whole book, The Place of Grace in Ad Shankara's Advaita. I think Brian Malkovsky. He's a professor, I think, in Boston College or somewhere. So he has collected all the references in Shankara to grace. One of the most radical books about non-dualism, like a companion book to Ashtavakra, is the Avadhuta Gita. And the first verse in the Avadhuta Gita 
is Ishwara Anugraha Deva Pumsam Advaita Vasana. It is the special, the highest grace of God is this attraction for non-duality. <laughs> of course, it's a book on non-duality. So. Yeah. Avadhuta Gita. Are there any questions from the internet audience? Yes. We'll go there first and then come back to Amavita. Uh, internet audiences that you can write down your comments and questions in the Q&A box and those will be preserved and in every session. Yes, please tell us the question. Swamiji, there are several questions related to deep sleep, but one of them which is indicative of all of them. Through, uh, this is from Krishnamurti. Through some practice, it is possible to be aware of the body, mind and intellect as objects and therefore get an intuitive understanding that I exist, distinct from them. However, it has been difficult to understand that the same I exist in the state of deep sleep. Correct. Because that I does not exist in the state of deep sleep. Notice, the problem is at the very beginning. What did he say? Through some practice. It is the mind practicing to be the witness. Never do it. Or you can do it. It's a nice meditative exercise. It's not what Ashtavakra means. Ashtavakra means that you are the witness without any practice. That witness, witness which is there without any practice has to be noticed. You say, yeah, but the noticing has to be practiced. Not really. You have to get it once and know that it is there. It's like saying, through some practice, we can separate the screen from the movie. The screen is always separate from the movie. It doesn't depend on your practice. There, the movie and the screen are different. You are watching from the audience. Here, you are the screen. Not even mind. Consciousness is the screen in which the movie of the world appears. And it's separate in the sense that the movie is not separate from the consciousness because it cannot exist without it. But you, the consciousness, are definitely separate from that. And this is a knowledge, not something born of practice. That which is trying to practice is the mind. And it fails most spectacularly in deep sleep because the mind goes to sleep. So deep sleep is the test case. It's an important thing for Advaita Vedanta. Why? Because... The doubts usually come there. So you're talking about a continuous consciousness that seems to be a nice idea until you come to deep sleep and there the whole thing collapses because there's no consciousness in deep sleep. That's why the state of deep sleep, and remember it's a state of the mind. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep are states of the mind. The state of deep sleep is important for Advaita Vedanta not to go into it. Then no Advaita Vedanta is possible. It's only in the waking state. From the waking state of the mind, consider the, the deep sleep state of the mind and notice that it says nothing about the witness consciousness. It only says something about the mind. It's the mind which is shut down in deep sleep. It seems to be a state of no consciousness. It's because in the waking, this is crucial, in the waking state we have insufficiently distinguished consciousness from the mind. It's still entangled with the mind. It's like and the movie is playing in the movie hall, in the movie theater. And you know there is a screen because there is the movie. But if you don't really know what the screen is, you know what you'll say when the movie is switched off and the hall is still in darkness. The lights have not yet come on. 
You will say, oh, the screen disappeared. You understand what I'm referring to? When the movie is over, it becomes dark, and the next moment the lights come on, and you actually can see the blank screen. But before that, I don't know if this is what happens nowadays. I've, at least this is what, when I was a kid, that's how movies used to be played. So when the movie is over, the whole hall goes blank for a split second. I mean, dark. If you did not know what is a screen and what is a movie, and somebody pointed out, there, that movie, that's, that's the screen. The movie is playing on the screen. And what's happening is so much light and sound and action is going on, and that's the screen, that's the movie you're aware of. And you think that itself is the screen. You're right, but you don't know what you mean, actually. So when the movie is switched off, all the lights go off, you think the screen is also gone. The screen is not gone. Just that no movie is playing, that's why you can't appreciate the screen also. In deep sleep, there is no movie playing. What is a movie? Waking and dreaming. There's no movie playing. Therefore, neither the movie is seen, nor the screen is appreciated. What does the screen do for the movie? It enables the movie to be played. Without the screen, no movie can be played. What does the movie do for the screen? It manifests the screen. You, you be, you're better able to appreciate that there is a screen just by seeing the movie. What does the world, what does Atman consciousness do for experience? It, it, it enables all experience. Without, it lights up all experience. But what does experience of objects, those objects, what do they do for pure consciousness? It manifests pure consciousness. It becomes obvious to a trained mind. It becomes obvious to somebody trained in Advaita Vedanta. Oh, this is what is going on in the background. Going on means, I'm a way of speaking, nothing is going on, it's there in the background. Without the object in deep sleep, for example, there would be no way of uh, appreciating the existence of pure consciousness. Shankaracharya has asked a similar question about Existence in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, 16th verse, Nasato vidyate bhavo, na bhavo vidyate sataha. He says, Rankaracharya says that um, existence is manifested in all existing objects. Everywhere. Chair is, man is, woman is, carpet is, space is, sound is, light is, sound is, is, is. All this man, woman, carpet, chair, sound, light. All of them, what are they doing? They're manifesting the always existent isness, being. But suppose somebody asks Shankaracharya in that, in that Bhashya, suppose every existing thing is destroyed. Then where is this isness? If you destroy the chair, the isness of the chair is also gone. If you destroy the pot, the isness of the pot is also gone. There's no, then the broken pot is fine. If you Pound the broken pot into powder. Powder is. Okay, fine. And at the end, pralaya, in the, after the destruction of the entire universe, big crunch. Then there's nothing. Where is that isness then? So the Shankaracharya says, isness is there, but it's not manifest. There's nothing to manifest it. Exactly like that. Consciousness in deep sleep is there. So this is very metaphysical. Proof. Proof, the very fact that every culture in the world speaks of deep sleep shows that it is an experience. 
Otherwise you wouldn't. What would happen if there was no experience of deep sleep, no consciousness in deep sleep? What would happen is this. We'd remember waking, we'd remember dreams, and we'd remember waking again. The question of deep sleep would not arise at all. Hello, Pranam Shamiji. My name is Momita. My question is here about Maya, Vidya, and Abhidya Maya. Abhidya Maya, compassion and kindness is free from egocentric misconception, I just understand, and it is guided by intelligent reason. The principle of Vidya Maya holds reasonable inspiration and everything. In this context, I want to bring Shamiji, Shami Vivekananda, to me he is God, no doubt, because he is the combination of all yogas perfectly. He, he is, whenever he forecasted future, it came in true. But sometimes, because Shaguna Brahmana Ishara is free from Nirguna Guna, no subtle mind works there. Beyond that, being Ishara Shamiji sometimes felt she was crying at the death of plague rope. Uh, Girish Ghosh showed everybody in the conference room, look at him, he has compassion because that is Vidya Maya. In this case, Vidya Maya, because it exists in the, even in the Ishara, it is, can be the projection of Atman, not reality. Because Atman is free from everything, Abhidda, Vidya, no, Isharas is dissolved within Nirguna Bhamma, then it will be as a projection. Because when Ishara sometimes hold compassion, but that is intelligent, reasonable. I think I understand what you are driving at. Yes. Two things. One, in this world of projections, of appearances in consciousness, Sri Ramakrishna has said, this entire world of Maya which appears in consciousness, you can divide it into helpful and not helpful. Uh, Vidya Maya and Avidya Maya. Vidya means knowledge, the Maya of knowledge, which is devotion, knowledge, dispassion, the spiritual quest. And Avidya Maya, also projection, which is anger, avarice, lust, greed, um, worldliness. One ties you more and more into the projection, the other one frees you from the projection. Both are equally projection. But one is, uh, if you are caught up in the projection, you need one and you need to get rid of the other. Then you rise beyond both. Again, the story of the, of the three robbers uh, who caught hold of the traveler. One was Sattva, Rajas and Tamas. One was Sattva, the, uh, you know, the quality which sets you free. One was Rajas, which binds you. One was Tamas, which destroys you. So one of the robbers wanted to kill the poor traveler. The other robber said, let's not kill him. Let's, let's uh, rob him of all his possessions and just tie him up to this tree and leave him here to perish. And the third one was kind-hearted. He came and set free the poor traveler. Not only that, showed him the path back home. When the traveler said, you're so kind, sir, come with me back to my home. The, the third robber said, I can't because I am still a robber. Yeah. So that was the story. Yes. So you need the help of the third one. Um, you need the help of Vidya Maya. Both are projections and which will set you free from this life. 
Uh, it's no use saying that we don't need all that, all our projections, I'm set free immediately. If you're set free immediately, good for you. But it doesn't seem to work that way. <laughs> it takes a long, long time. Uh, and we need all the help we can get. We'll see in the afternoon. We'll get some really strong help in the afternoon. So I think we are uh, done for the... Yes. One more question? All right. We can take one question quickly. Yes. Um, Swamiji, question from Netherlands, Adri van der Berg. Uh, it's about bliss. The word ananda or bliss seems to refer to a property, something you can experience in the mind. Experience is a reflection of Brahman, not Brahman itself. So I miss the step from anantam in Satyam Jnanam Anantam Brahma to ananda in Satchidananda. Beautiful question. And it will take a whole lecture to elucidate, but let me crunch it up, squeeze it in a couple of sentences. Follow this carefully. The question is about ananda, bliss. And bliss seems to be a property, an experience, particular experience. And all of that you said is within the projection, within an appearance, an object. How can it be satchidananda? Notice, sat means existence, being. Chit means consciousness. In each case, do you see how we distinguished existence itself from existing things? So existence is manifested as existing things. It comes from names and forms and becomes existing things. But existence itself is being, is Brahman. Consciousness, awareness. Brahman is pure awareness, but it becomes manifested as the knower and the doer and the experiencer of pleasure and pain, all kinds of conscious experiences. But you know, the difference I, I drew between pure consciousness and the knower, pramata, exactly like that. The bliss, joy, happiness, pleasure, these are all aspects and manifestations of Brahman which in itself is not a feeling. Bliss, joy, uh, happiness, pleasure, all of these are various kinds of feelings, emotions, experiences. They all come from one reality which in itself is not a feeling. Just as Sat is in itself not an existing thing. It is existence itself. Chit is not a conscious experience. It is consciousness itself. Ananda is not a particular nice, very nice feeling. It is that which appears as uh, bliss. It is, it's bliss itself. So I'm very kind of this language I'm using. Existence itself, knowledge or consciousness itself, bliss itself. It's different from existing things, conscious experiences and blissful experiences. Another way, uh, and I'll end with this. It's a very packed statement. All of Advaita is there in this. Sat-vivarta is karya-karana. I'll explain. Chit-vivarta is drashta-drishya. Ananda-vivarta is bhokta-bhogya. Okay. The appearance of being, sat, is cause and effect. Big Bang, universe, cause and effect. Seed and tree. Cause and effect. Brahman is ultimately not even a cause, let alone effect. It is that which appears as causality. Consciousness appears as knower and known. 
or even more deeply, drashta and drishya, seer and seen. Consciousness itself appears as both. The experience of consciousness is, I am conscious of something. Both I who is conscious and that which I am conscious of, both are appearances of consciousness. Ananda appears as enjoyer and enjoyed. Bhokta and bhogya. Ananda itself appears as that. All existence is Sat, Brahman. All conscious experience, awareness is Chit, Brahman. All meaning, value, beauty, love in life is Ananda, Brahman. What do we want in life? What, what exactly is the point of it all? First of all, existence. We want to live because we are Sat actually. But not live in a coma. We want to be aware. So because we are chit. And we don't want to be living and aware of a miserable existence, maybe dying in a, or living perpetually in a ICU and, and struggling with pain and suffering. No, we want a fulfilled, happy, blissful life because we are ananda. So these primal impulses to be, to live, to experience, to know, and to be happy, joyful, meaningful. All value, meaning, it all comes from Ananda. And these are not three properties of Brahman. It is the same thing which is Sat. It is the same thing which is Chit. It is the same thing which is Ananda. Also notice in another way. Sat is existence itself. But Chit, awareness, consciousness, has also has to be existent before it becomes consciousness. It can't be a non-existent consciousness. And ananda, bliss, fulfillment, meaning, has to be sat and chit before it is ananda. It can't be an unconscious ananda, impossible. It can't be a non-existent ananda, impossible. So ananda, ananda brahmaiti vyajanat, no brahman, the ultimate uh, indication or pointing towards brahman is bliss itself. It is isness, it is awareness and it is fulfillment. The very good note to end this session on. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu